Happy Easter. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, before we jump into what we're going to talk, talk to you about today, I want to ask you to do something with us. Uh, we're pretty divided as a culture. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. You know that there are sides on every issue, and you know that people are entrenching themselves on every side, and I hope you understand that every time you entrench yourself on a particular side, you alienate humanity, and you're pushing us apart, and we just decided as a church, we don't want to be like that. We, we want to bring people together, not push them apart. Uh, Gandhi said it this way. He said, be the change that you want to see in the world, and so we want to try and do that as a church, and so one of the things that we want to do is we just want to quarterback hope in the region. Uh, a lot of people have what I would call hope deficiency. And so we want to quarterback hope in the region. We want to be people who are for the region. Now, there's two ways that you can, you can be a part of that, okay? Very simple. One, that little sticker that you got on your chair that says for the region. You can take the sticker, put it on your bumper, put it on your back window, wherever you want to put it, put it on your laptop, whatever, put it on a tool, whatever. Um, and you might drive through a drive-thru. It's the second thing you can do with this. Uh, drive through a drive-thru this week in the next seven days. Someone comes in behind you. You pay for their whatever they ordered. And you just tell the person at the window, hey, just let them know I'm for the region. I hope they have a great day. That's all you got to do. You'll be passing on hope when you do that, okay? The second thing you can do, if you'd like, is you can get one of these. We have 42 of these pictures of Reed. We just want to populate the earth with no, we really don't. We really don't. Uh, we, have, we have about 50 or so different real lifers we took pictures of. And if you grabbed uh, a couple weeks ago one of those EasterInTheRegion.com um, signs like this, you can grab one of these in the, uh, the resource center right across the lobby right there after the service. And you can replace that sign, put it on there. It just lets people know that you are for the region. They're going to go, well, what's that about? Well, like, I'm just for the region. I just want there to be hope. I just want it to be positive. I want to bring... Uh, people together. So you could do that. That would be a way that you could participate in that. Is anybody game for bringing some hope to the region? Okay, good. Good, good. Uh, the second thing before we jump in is we do this little litany. Now, I hope you know that on, on Sunday, Sunday, uh, every Sunday is uh, Christians worship on Sunday because Sunday is the day, the first day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead. So the early Christians said, let's always come together every week from our, our weeks and our, where we've been and our jobs. When we come back together to worship God, let's just always do it to remember the Lord's resurrection. Uh, so every Sunday is in effect Easter Sunday, but Easter, Easter Sunday, we always do this little litany uh, that I say, he is risen, and then you come back with, he is risen indeed. Now, don't get embarrassed by the 8 o'clock service. Uh, there wasn't as many people because it was 8 o'clock, and they were really tired. Uh, but they did a fantastic job. The 9.30 was, eh, and you guys can be a lot better than that. So I'm going to say, he is risen. You come back with, he is risen indeed. You ready? Okay, here we go. He is risen. Man, it was almost as good as the 8 o'clock. Way to go. That was good. Uh, that was good. Hey, stand with me if you would. We always read a passage of scripture. I'm going to read it aloud. It'll be on the screen. Uh, this is one of the accounts of the resurrection in the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. And we'll be looking at what this means for our lives today. And I'll read it aloud. After the Sabbath, that's Saturday, at dawn on the first day of the week, that's today, Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothes white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. 
The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. That could be you. It ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them with a word, greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, worshipped him. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Well, if you're joining us for Easter Sunday, I'm really glad that you're our guest. Uh, We're right in the middle of a series that we're calling Enough, and we're learning through that series the secret of contentment. We're going to continue it uh, next week, and we've been learning how to have enough. Uh, We've been learning the secret of contentment, the Apostle Paul calls it in one of his letters. And we've learned last week about doing enough. When, when will you have done enough? And how Jesus makes up where we feel like we haven't done enough. Uh, today, though, I want to talk to you about how the resurrected Jesus is just plainly uh, enough. Um, I, I grew up when I was a, a, a boy in Omaha, Nebraska in my elementary years. And after Sunday morning uh, church, we would get in the car and we would drive across town to the mall. And there on the outside of the mall was Furs cafeteria. And Furs Cafeteria is one of those old school restaurants where you would go in and you would get your tray and there would be the long line and there would be all of the different foods items as you would go down. My mom would be right behind me and uh, I would uh, walk past the green beans and she would say, no, you need green beans. And so a little thing of green beans would go on my plate. And then I could pick a hamburger or Salisbury steak or meatloaf. Uh, then I would go a little further down and there would be the jello and I would put the jello on my plate and then I would put the chocolate cake on my plate and then I would put the pecan pie on my plate and then my mom would take them off and put them back. And then we would go and we would check out and we would eat and we would enjoy. It was one of my favorite, one of my favorite things to do, one of my favorite memories of growing up is, is doing that together as a family. Uh, that was uh, symptomatic of America that we are just the land of choices. And here is what I feel. I, I don't know if you feel this, if you sense this. But we are living in a moment when we have never had more choices, and I would argue never had less certainty. I don't know if you feel that the way I feel that. But I want to talk to you today in the middle of all of that uncertainty that we feel, how the resurrected Jesus is enough for three problems that plague humanity. You just live a little bit of time, and you will find out that these problems will come to the surface of your life in some way, shape, form, or fashion. So we're going we're gonna to learn about that today. Turn to your neighbor and just tell them, I'm going to learn something today. I'm going to learn something today. Here's the first, first problem that plagues humanity and that the resurrected Jesus is enough for, and it's this. Uh, the resurrected Jesus is enough for my gaps. For my gaps. What, do, what does that mean? What do I mean by that? Well, there is always a gap between the person that we want to be, the person that we need to be for the people around us, maybe even the person that we ought to be, and the person that we actually are. There is always a gap between the two of those. Uh, If you're a parent, especially of small children like my wife and I are, you understand why some species eat their young. It's because of the gap, right? (laughs) I want to be loving all the time, but there's a gap, right? And you're going to die. Uh, so that's just kind of how we feel. That's the gap. We, we sense the gap. Um, w- whenever you get a job and then you get a promotion, uh, y- this always is the case. 
we have a saying about it that someone is promoted to their level of incompetence. That's always the case because you always are promoted to a place you've never done before. And so there's a gap between uh, what you need to be and what that job requires and you've got to learn and, and you go through some incompetence. Uh, it's why marriage is hard because there are gaps in both people. And sometimes you wake uh, up grumpy and sometimes you let them sleep, right? <laughs> but even as, just as people, we sense on our hearts and on our lives the gap, the gap between what we want to be and who we are. And I've got some encouragement for you on Easter Sunday morning, 2018. It's universal. You're not alone. Everybody around you has a gap somewhere and there is a secret that they don't want you to know and you don't want them to know and it's this we don't know what to do about it <laughs> what do we do about our gap and 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 when we have those gaps when we feel those gaps they create uh, internal noise have you ever walked around with the feeling that people just know <laughs> that you're not quite together and and you feel the gap you're like i need to be this but i'm not and, and you think that everybody sees that and you walk around feeling like a fraud. Have you ever felt that? Uh, it's one of the reasons that we're so divided as a culture because it's much easier instead of looking at my own gaps to blame someone else for the gap. It's her problem. It's the Democrats' problem. It's the Republicans' problem. That's the reason we have this problem. It's much easier to look at someone else's gap than it is to look at my own gap. Or well, one of the things that we often do is we just give up and we stop caring and we just say, well, that's just who I am. I mean, I'm always going to be a mess and that's just you're just gonna have to accept me the way that I am it's the gaps between who we want to be and who we actually are that creates the pain in our life uh, the reason that your seventh grade girlfriend broke up with you is because of your gaps <laughs> the reason that you were fired from a job is because of your gaps the reason you lost your marriage is because of gaps it's the reason that you drink too much. It's the reason that you've considered suicide. There's always a gap between who we want to be and who we are. Now, the Bible's not absent of gaps. It's very aware of gaps. In fact, in the story of Jesus, uh, Jesus' last days before the cross and the resurrection, I'm sure even if you're not a religious person, don't know much about the Bible, you've, you've heard of Judas, one of the 12 disciples who betrayed Jesus. And, and all the gospel accounts, when they record the life of Judas after he betrayed Jesus, he sensed the gap on his heart and on his life. And he went, and his, his way to deal with his gap was to hang himself. Now, in a minute, we're going to look at, at, at Peter, because Peter was one of the disciples, and his response was different, and your response could be like Peter and, and not like Judas. But, but the Bible routinely points out the gap. It's one of the things that frustrates me about the Bible is that it points out the gap. Uh, one of my practices is that in the mornings, uh, I read the Psalms. The Psalms, if you have one of these old-fashioned Bibles, if you were to open it kind of right in the middle, uh, you would come across the Psalms. The Psalms are written prayers and songs that for several thousand years now, the Jewish people and then the Christian people have used to, uh, to pray and to sing. And uh, this, earlier this week, I was reading a psalm, and I, so I read a psalm, and then I, I use it throughout the day to help guide my prayer and my thoughts and direct my thoughts toward God. And, and I read Psalm 15. And Psalm 15, if you know Psalm 15, uh, starts off like this. We'll throw it on the screen. It says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? In other words, who do you accept? Who are the people that you let in? 
And then, then there's this big, long list. I'll, just, I'll give you the things that, that the psalmist says. The person who's blameless, and they do what's right, and they speak the truth from their heart, and their tongue utters no slander, and they do no wrong to a neighbor, and they cast no slur on others, and they don't despise a vile, they despise a vile person. In other words, a person who hurts other people. They honor those who fear the Lord. They keep an oath even when it hurts. They lend money to the poor without interest. They don't accept a bribe against the innocent. And then it ends with this resounding verse in, in verse 5, and it says, whoever does these things will never be shaken. How many of you would like to never be shaken? <laughs> okay? Yeah, I would love to never be shaken. But now I have a problem, and you have the same problem if you're honest. And here's the problem. I have been shaken a lot. I know my gaps. The psalmist says it a little bit later in Psalm chapter 51. He says, I know my transgressions. Maybe you feel that. In other words, I know what my gaps are. I, I'm so aware of them, and I don't know what to do about them. Now, about that, this is the million-dollar question for you on Easter Sunday. What do we do about our gaps? Uh, you can uh, pretend they're not there. That's not going to make them go away. You can blame someone else for your gaps. All that's going to do is alienate you from, from the other person. Um, you can go walk around feeling like a fraud because of your gaps. But let me tell you what Jesus does with your gaps. Now, just for a second, I've got to pause there. Some of you were scared to come in today because the, the idea or the understanding of God is that God knows your gaps, and he's just waiting for you to get into a holy place like this so he can squash you like a bug. <laughs> right? But the, the, the God that Jesus reveals to us is not like that at all, because this is what Jesus does. Jesus bridges the gap. Let me change how you think about the cross. You know, we know that the image of the cross, that Jesus died on a cross. On the one hand, there is who we want to be, and then there, on the other hand, there is who we are, and the cross is God's act of bridging the gap on our behalf. I hope that changes how you see the cross for the rest of your life. Like, oh, God made up the gap, because I can't make up the gap. In fact, we're talking about this in this series about being enough, and, and we're studying the letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in ancient Philippi, a city in Turkey, and this is the very end of that letter in Philippians chapter 4, verse 23, and it's this. He said, because this is one of the main messages of, of his entire ministry, he says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, if you don't know what it is, is the act of God to make up your gaps. I've heard it all my life, G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. The God makes up the gaps. Do you have gaps? I have gaps. Do you know what you need for your gaps? You need grace. Because in this world where it's a pay-to-play world, do you know any place where you get someone who just says, nah, just ignore the gap? No, you don't. And neither do I. The only person I know who does that is Jesus. And that's why Peter, his response was to say, okay, I understand, I see my gaps. And so he wept and he went to Jesus and he repented because he knew that God was full of grace, not waiting to squash him like a bug. The, re the resurrected Jesus is enough for your gaps. And if you don't hear anything else on Easter Sunday, 2018, may you hear this message from God to you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The second thing, uh, the second human problem that we all struggle with uh, that the resurrected Jesus is enough for is for my shame. 
there's this uh, thing that's going around. It's on the, I think it's on the internet. I, I guess if, if it's on the internet, it must be true, right? Um, and and uh, there's all these websites now that are coming out that are about how to be a man because we don't really train men how to be men. We did a series a few months ago called The Man Code. You can go back and check that out. But uh, we just need some help doing that. And so there are all these websites. There's one that I keep up with called The Art of Manliness. Uh, don't, don't Google it right now. <laughs> but it's full of all these articles and articles that, that only men would like in America, like how to cross a piranha-infested stream. Like, <laughs> when are we going to need this, right? But men are like, yes, I would rather. And, and it tells you how to do those kinds of things. But also it says, you know, here's, the, here's, a, great, here's a great knife and here's, a, here's the kind of uh, little multi-tool you need to have on your keys that will act as a screwdriver and also slice through your seatbelt and break the window if you're in a wreck so you can rescue everybody. It's all about how to be a man. It's just this everyday carry uh, kind of idea. And, and it points out that we just don't carry the kinds of things that we used to. Like, for instance, um, most women today, uh, I think they carry a purse. How many, how many ladies, how many of you carry a purse? Okay, yeah, some of you. Uh, how many of you, and then men, we usually, not all of us, carry a wallet. How many, of you, how many of you carry a wallet, men? Okay, yeah. But we all, ha-ha, carry one of these, right? Uh-huh, yeah, you do. Pull it out. Pull it out. I want to do something with you. I want you to pull it out. I want you to open up your little camera. You know how to do it. Uh, and then what I want you to do is I want you to turn it on selfie mode. And I want you to hold. I'm being serious. You're like looking at me like, are you serious? No, I'm really serious. Put it on selfie mode. And we're going to take a selfie of us all taking selfies. Okay, you ready? Did this in the other service. You ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Okay, there we go. Good job. Way to go. You took a group selfie on Easter Sunday. Hashtag Easter selfie, right? But these phones, here's, here's the point that I'm, I'm trying to make. You're all excited about that, I see. These phones have replaced so much. They replace our calendar and our flashlight and our uh, GPS and there are our alarm clock and they, they're our phone. But many people are bemoaning something that the cell phone has created, that it was wasn't intended to create because we were sold the cell phone the smartphone as a way to make our life easier and that we would also be more connected to other people but many are bemoaning the fact that we have a loss of connection that when we go places we're connected to the internet but we're disconnected from each other i'm guilty you're guilty why because we everywhere i go anytime anyone has a moment by themselves or they're sitting with each other at a table do you know what they're doing And what are they doing? What are we doing when we do that? We're looking on that device at someone else's life. And we're holding up our life and comparing it to their life. (laughs) And we're looking at their life and saying, my life's not as good as their life. Look how in shape they are. They don't argue like our family argues. They don't have addictions like I have addictions. They must be perfect and so we compare uh, what for us is kind of like we're this rose, right? And we're just kind of this crushed version of a human being, we feel. <laughs> and there's not much to us. And we, we go like, this is my life. And then we look online and there's their life and my life's not their life. But we don't see that all they're doing is they're posting the best version of themselves. I have this happen all the time uh, on Facebook. Someone will, because just the size of our church, someone will friend me and I don't know them personally yet. And, and, but I see they're connected to somebody. And they'll friend me. If you want to be friends with me on Facebook, let's go. And uh, we'll be friends on Facebook. And um, they'll, they'll send me their picture. And then 
I'll see their profile picture, and then later I'll meet them, and I'll be like, is that the same person? I don't, (laughs) why is that? Because they do what I do. They put the very best version of themselves. And so here we are looking at the polished, perfect version of ourselves reflected in somebody else and always feeling like we don't measure up and like we're not enough. And so this sense of shame comes over us and this sense of deficiency and this sense of embarrassment that we're not, I mean, those people, they've got it all together, but look at me, I'm a mess. I want to tell you that the resurrected Jesus is enough for your shame. The prophet Isaiah uh, has a book named after him in the Old Testament. And in Isaiah, he's looking forward to the Messiah, to Jesus coming. And he said these beautiful words that maybe you've heard them before in Isaiah chapter 53 about this very reality. He says, but he, he's talking about Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. Think about Jesus on the cross and the nails. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The message of the cross is that Jesus was crushed so that you wouldn't have to be. The resurrected Jesus is enough for your shame. Now here's the third thing, it's the last thing, uh, is that the resurrected Jesus is enough for your mind. Now here's what I know. Some of you came today to make someone happy. And uh, you don't really, uh, you're not really a person of faith. I mean, maybe you're kind of quasi-spiritual, but you're not really a person of faith. And, um, and, and honestly, one of the reasons that you're not a person of faith is because your understanding of Christianity is that you have to check your brain at the door. And your understanding of faith, uh, your conception of faith, is that it means you have blind belief in a bunch of things that you can't prove, and that's not okay for you. It's not okay for me either. But I want to just suggest a different way of seeing faith, that faith really is just a way of seeing the world. It's a lens through which we look to see and understand the world around us. And I want to suggest, whether you're a person of faith or not, that you also have a way that you see the world, a lens through which you look to understand and make sense of the world around you. And and if you're not a person of faith, let me just ask you about that way that you see the world. Maybe you've never paid attention to those lenses before. But just ask yourself this question. If everyone followed your way of seeing the world, what kind of people would that create? One of the reasons that I am a follower of Jesus is because I have not found a better way of seeing the world that creates better people, people who are full of compassion, people, people who are not proud, who are humble, people who are gracious, people who work for the rights of others, people who put them at risk for just, themselves at risk for justice, people who will stand up for things that are wrong, will stand up for the broken and for the weak. I, I have yet to find a way of being, a way of seeing in the world that makes that same difference that Christianity does. I I routinely keep up with people who don't agree with me, don't think like me as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. I just want to understand and I want to uh, learn from them. They have things they can teach me as well. But, but I follow some people who they would call themselves uh, secular humanists. In other words, they would say, look, this is the life that we have. Uh, we're molecules, we're physical beings, and that's it. When we die, we, we cease existence, and that's it. And that's the, the outlook of secular humanism. And um, most people who, are, who hold that uh, worldview, that understanding of things, would call themselves atheists. And one person uh, who is an atheist, he said, I, I, I've been questioning the way I see my life. 
He said, because I look at people around me and I somehow know that they have intrinsic value and they have basic human dignity and I'm supposed to treat every person with basic dignity, but my worldview dictates that, that, that we're all just a collection of molecules. So how in the world can I say that one a person is more valuable than a rock or a dog or a cat? How can I even say that? Because I, I, He said, but I know, I know that I know that I know that every person has worth, value, and dignity and it, I, if there's not a God... How do I make sense of that? And I would just suggest that faith is actually an intelligent way of looking at the world. I'll show you a a list of names of some people, and and this doesn't necessarily prove anything as much as it just shows you that that intelligent people can have this. These are some people who are followers of Jesus, who some are alive, some are not. Blaise Pascal was the father of modern mathematics, follower of Jesus. Uh, Francis Collins mapped the human genome recently, follower of Jesus. John Polkinghorne is a, has a doctorate in uh, quantum physics, and for those of you who are science geeks like me, um, he helped to discover the quark. If you don't know what the quark is, look it up. Not right now, later. But he, he's a PhD also in theology, and he's a priest. J.R.R. Tolkien's no longer living. He wrote The Lord of the Rings. You've probably seen the movies. Uh, but he wrote them, he said, as an act of Christian imagination, Soren Kierkegaard, one of the most influential philosophers in the Western world. You think a lot of the thoughts you think because of Soren Kierkegaard and his attempt to live out his faith. Dr. Martin Luther King, Christian minister. Desmond Doss, uh, he was the, the hero of the movie, um, um, the Ridge movie that I can't think of. Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, his faith is what animated him to do that. John Maxwell is a Christian. He's one of the most well, one of the top ten leader gurus in the world. Travels all around the world teaching leaders how to be better leaders. Does it because he's a follower of Jesus. Henry Cloud, best-selling psychologist, one of the be- uh, best-selling authors on psychology and the human brain uh, alive today. Uh, these are all people who follow Jesus. And you would say, yeah, but that doesn't prove that faith is right. You're exactly right. All it points out is that you don't have to check your brain at the door. You don't. You don't have to check your way at, at, the, at the door. And faith gives you a way to see. And what, one of the things I love about the scriptures and I love about Christianity is it doesn't, doesn't paint the picture in a rosy way. It says how deep and dark we are and how broken we are and how wide the gap is and what a chasm it is. And at the same time says, but we were made beautiful and in God's image and we have worth and we have value and we have dignity. And God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross to bridge up the gap and then rose again from the dead so that he could raise us up and give us new life. It paints both sides of the story. Does your way of seeing the world do that? You know, that's what I would ask you. Uh, The resurrected Jesus is enough for your mind. Now, how can we say that the resurrected Jesus is enough? Uh, Well, the reason that we can say that the resurrected Jesus is enough is simply because of Easter Sunday, because of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul, in one of his other letters in the New Testament in, in Corinthians, he says, listen, if the dead aren't raised, he said, then Christians should be pitied more than anybody because what they're doing is absolute tomfoolery. Uh, But we understand that the resurrection is the source of power, like this drill. It has no power, and there's a gap between how this drill was created and what this drill is able to do if if it's not attached to power. There's a gap. There's an embarrassment, because if you know, this is one of the best brands you can buy, and why would it not work the way it was supposed to work? But if you take that drill and what it was created for and you attach it to power, oh, yeah. The resurrection is the power of God to make up your gaps. It is the power of God to overcome your shame. It is the power of God 
to see the world in a different way that changes who you are and changes the world around you. Where else are you going to get that power? Who else you got? Because I don't know nobody. (laughs) I would love it if on Easter Sunday 2018, you walked in here thinking, I mean, you know, I'm going to go do that and I'm going to eat some chocolate and some ham and whatever. And then you you got side-tackled by the resurrected Jesus. And the trajectory of your life changes in a different direction. And I'd love that. And that may not be you, and, and we, w- we invite you to be a part of us and be a part of what we do. You're, you're always welcome here. But I'd like to give you the opportunity to make that decision, to let the risen Jesus change the trajectory of your life. So here's what I'd like to do. Um, I'd like to, to pray with you. I, I'll give you, a, just a, a, if that's you, a, a prayer that you could very simply pray. And um, I'm going to ask you, if you would, just as out of respect for the other people around you, just to close your eyes so they can have kind of a private moment. And um, no one's looking at you or them because they're having their own moment. And I'm just going to l- say a prayer. And if this is a prayer that you would like to pray to begin a relationship with Jesus, then you could just pray this in your mind. God hears what's in your mind and heart. And this can be a new day for you. So you would pray something like this. Jesus, I need your help. I see my gaps, and I don't know what to do. I see now that you made a way to close the gap, and so I need some of that grace. And so I pray that you would forgive me for what was in the past, and you'd give me a new start today. I don't understand all this, so I'm going to need some help. But I'm inviting you to lead my life from this day. Thank you for what you did for me that first Easter Sunday. In your name. And so, God, I pray for all of us in this room, all of us, people of faith or not, we have gaps, we have shame, we have doubts. And you're the resurrected Jesus. You're the power source. And so we, uh, we turn to you again, reminding uh, us that the grace of God can be with our spirit, that you were crushed for our iniquities, and that you're more than enough for our mind and for our way of being in the world. So we receive that again today, and we say thank you. And everybody who wanted the power of the resurrection in their lives said, Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, I'd love it if you would uh, take a picture with your family. We always leave you with a blessing. And so you'll see the people around you holding out their hands like this. It's just their tangible way of saying, I want that in my life. If you're comfortable with that, uh, please do that. If you're not, that's okay too. Just receive this blessing. May you know the love of God for you that's greater than your gaps. It's greater than your shame and it's greater than your doubts. May you know that love on this Easter Sunday. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You're sent now to love God, to love people, to serve the world in his name. Hug someone, tell them you love them. He is risen. See you next week.